Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. Today we meet Mandy Mergashini. When Mandy was offered an opportunity to move to The Hague with Shell back in 2008, she set out with her family thinking she would be back in time for her young son to start primary school. Fast forward 10 years, and with the family having enjoyed a second posting to Krakow in Poland, they returned in time for him to start secondary school. Initially working in the area of global mobility, Mandy was offered an insider's view to her field of work as an assignee. Moving into senior HR roles, her focus switched to millennial strategy, transformation and leadership. During her time abroad, the Shell business in Australia underwent a significant change least of all which included the relocation of head office from Melbourne to Perth. With Mandy returning to her hometown of Melbourne, I'm interested to hear how she stepped back into a business that had a very, very different look and feel to the one she left. So welcome, Mandy. Where are we chatting with you today? Chatting in Melbourne. It's a nice sunny spring day. And of course, given the Melbourne lockdown, I'm in my house. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it is a cracker of a day. It is a cracker of a day. So, Mandy, you grew up in Melbourne and had been working for several years prior to heading to The Hague. Can you just give us a little insight, though, into what life was like before you left Australia, what you were doing, and were there any early signs that made you think an international journey lay ahead for you? So when I was in Australia, I was doing a a HR journalist role, and through my time in Australia with Shell, actually many of my responsibilities covered a lot of the Asia-Pacific region. Mm-hmm. So I think through that I really um, developed an interest to working with other cultures and working in other countries. And prior to working with Shaw, I actually had spent a year away um, in Singapore as part of the graduate program for BHD, and that was on my own. That was before I had, um, although I knew my husband, he was my boyfriend then, not my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, it was I found that was a great experience. So I think w- when I was in at that time in in with with Shell in Melbourne. Basically, I'd done a lot of the roles in the country and I felt like I needed something a little bit different. My son was still young. He was 18 months and my husband had, yes, he found a job, but he was also keen to try to do some different things as well. So he kind of thought, well, young enough is not going to be going to not studying school. And we thought, well, now's probably the time to really try and live overseas, also to see Europe. Why not do it when you can, you know, you actually live there? But also from a career point of view, I thought it'd be a really good experience to actually work in head office as well to understand um, and how things work. And so, yeah, that's sort of why we took the interest. Um, Recognised that my husband would have to resign from his job, so it was actually quite a big decision to do. But otherwise, that was basically the thinking um, around it. Mm, Okay. So you relocated with Shell. How did the opportunity arise? Was it a new job that unfolded? Was it a project that took you over there? And I guess what were your initial thoughts when it came up? Well, basically what happened was that um, we'd thought as a, as a couple, yeah, it'd be nice to try to go overseas. So I'd actually started to talk to a few sort of contacts that I had um, in head office that I'd worked with previously as part of part of my role. But basically I had to apply for, for the job. 
So um, mm. in which in show we actually have an internal advertising process. So you basically apply for jobs that are there. So basically this role came up and I'd just done a stint in policy and I thought, well, this would be quite interesting to do a bit more of it. And and I love the fact that it was global and that the fact that actually as a company we'd actually made a massive change in our policies around expatriation and mobility. So it was really a good chance to actually see that that implementation through yeah and from both sides really wasn't it so exactly from both sides and also to work in head office and get that network as well so that was why yeah so through applying I was successful and was like yeah right now we off we go <laughs> fantastic and so um how did your husband and son embrace the opportunity I mean you mentioned it had a significant impact for him in having to resign from his role here in Australia yeah so how did they embrace it so my son obviously didn't have much choice and couldn't really talk about much at that point in time. Yeah. So he was he was obviously okay. he was only about eighteen months. He he actually embraced it really well. He was very flexible and like what main thing about him was he just was soaking up the language. So obviously we're mm. Netherlands, Dutch speaking country, but obviously people do speak English. But childcare is all Dutch. It's very hard to find English um, childcare. Right. And we wanted to get to a daycare so at least he could get that socialization yeah and 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 I weren't sure whether my husband would be able to study or not so so he embraced it pretty well because he loved it all um and Netherlands is quite a small country and you see animals everywhere you see cows not too far out from your your suburb so he loved it as a child he loved that aspect of it with my husband I'll be honest it was probably a bit more difficult for him he loved the time that he had spending with 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 our son while he's growing up and you know in those those really critical years but he really found it hard to try to find something that would really keep him um, motivated um and also mm-hmm. that he could actually do he was wanting to do some more some further study in engineering but it was hard for him to try to do courses that were actually in English so he actually he had to study Dutch he became oh, right. quite fluent yeah, and it was very difficult for him to actually um, basically study that that Dutch and really yeah. um, quite intense, like an engineering, quite like do more engineering, which it was an engineering uh, engineer already. So that was quite difficult for him. But over time, he was able to find his groove, I suppose. And he really got at that time with him. I, I think um, when they look back, I remember it all, but, but he does. Like he remembers that time he had with him. And yeah, you can't you can't take that time. You can never get that time again. So I think that was probably one of the highlights. And then that was probably part of our decision making about what do we do after after the Netherlands? Do we go home or not? Because you know what can he do, etc. What would be good for as well? So when you when your child's young, it's a different, much easier decision to make. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so that, that that was sort of some of the things around it. But yeah, obviously, it, that's one thing I'd say around you know going on an expat assignment. It, it is great experience, but it's different for everyone in your family. And that experience isn't always static. Mm. The advice I give people who are considering an overseas assignment, you need to be prepared for that change. Um, um, and I guess that's a real prompt, isn't it, then to be sort of checking in, you know, just so exactly. regularly because what was ideal six months ago may not be ideal exactly. today. That's right. Was your husband allowed to work or he wasn't allowed to work when he went? Technically he could work but he couldn't actually, because he's actually quite new in his qualifications, he couldn't actually really get any work. So that was the reality. Yeah, and okay. so he decided not to really pursue that but actually study instead yeah um yeah and, and then through that he realized well I need to do more um you know more Dutch to actually do that type of study I want to do like he could do a lot of uh, other types of courses but they weren't really down his area of um interest and experience yeah um, yeah 
And through, through, the, through our next role, like we moved to Poland, that actually prompted him to really think about if, because he, he actually couldn't work at all in Poland, but it made him think about, and then we, we discussed a lot together, okay, what is it that you really want to do then? What is it that, like, how do you use opportunity now? Because when you do it for the first time, you're not prepared, but your second time, you're probably more prepared. And mm-hmm. he really thought through, okay, what does he want to do? And he actually realised that actually through that time in Netherlands, he really developed a keen interest in science. And so that's what he decided to do. He did open university, studied physics. That's the area that he liked, physics and mathematics. And that's what he's done coming back is actually when we've come back to Australia, he's been able to actually graduate as a scientist. Um, Fantastic. Now he's he's continuing that. Like hopefully he'll get a PhD, et cetera, and become an academic. So through that time, I mean, it wouldn't have happened. He would have just kept working in in engineering. But through that he's realised actually science is more his passion and he's actually really, really good at it as well. So, yeah, so that's actually been, in a way, it's been a nice journey in the end, but not so, you know, not easy at first, I'd have to say. Yeah. Use it as, I guess, a real foundational time, though, you know, yeah. to sort of launch for when he came back to Australia yeah. as well, yeah. um, which is great. So from a career perspective for you, I mean, your career really took off. You're, you're you know, in head office, um, you're more connected, you've got opportunities that are unfolding. How did how did that journey literally unfold for you between The Hague and then Krakow? And what, what, what did that look like from a practical point of view or from a pragmatic point of view? Yeah, so I suppose the first thing was really just learning, trying to understand a bit more around how the head office environment works, a bit more around the job. I think I think what um, what it, and I suppose just under working out what can I do to actually grow as an individual through through this role as well. That's how I always take everything's alert an opportunity to learn. Um, but I think through that um, through that role, being in head office, I really got to experience how how do you really manage a global role without being the head office person, if you know what I mean. Like how do you really ensure you understand what's going on in the, all the countries that you are really supposed to be partnering with? Um, and so I think through that it was a really good way to really understand how to build really strong and successful relationships and to really work across the different cultures. So, And I think that's that's really stayed with me throughout my career and helped me when I've come back to Australia because still working with Australia, I've used those relationships to to work through problems that we may have in Australia or things that we don't know, like how do we deal with this because, you know, we are in a global matrix organisation. But also through that reputation, I was able to use that aspect of, of reputation yeah. to um, to actually get some results that we need to get from a country point of view as well. So that's been, I think that was probably one of the biggest things. But when I think back to the Netherlands, probably the other three uh, big things about it is actually I've got to really see, we always know as HR professionals that we do have a great impact on on people and organisation. But through that time in the Netherlands, being in a head office role and being in mobility, I realised just how impactful the function can be. So after I'd, one, you know, one year after I'd already been in the Netherlands, we had the great, you know, big financial crisis. And so that meant many, you know, many companies were, you know, letting a lot of expats go, et cetera. And I was involved in developing a policy which was very aligned to our company culture around care for people. And so we developed really good minimum standards for all of our expats who, unfortunately, there are a few had to repatriate because we had a reorganisation as well, given given the financial constraints. And I really felt that we really treated people with as much respect as possible. So some countries have smaller, you know, notice periods. We made sure everyone had the same amount. And we also ensured there were certain things that were done that were consistent with everyone. So I think that was where I felt this is where you can really have a positive impact. And I and I know there were other sectors that perhaps were giving people very little notice, you know, particularly when you've got families involved. 
as well. That can be really go to a country and then like three months later you get pulled out. And that happens. That happens in you know, it's happening now yeah. as well. Really. Yeah, I know. Well, it's a real test, isn't it, for mobility at the moment. Um, and Shell has an incredible reputation for their mobility and expat care, um, which is fantastic to hear hear it from within too. Um I think one of the things is that when we uh, relocate for opportunities, I mean, we don't just relocate our professional sense of self, we relocate our families and our personal personal lives as well. What did life look like in um, in Krakow and also in The Hague? Yeah, so, so I suppose the first thing when you move to a new city is obviously you need to find a network of friends. So, so the first bit was really trying to, and a lot of it revolved around our son first, like making sure you could get play dates, et cetera. So and obviously through your expat community, um, actually, and I think what, so in the Netherlands we built some really good friendships as, as well as Krakow and um, yeah, friendships that we still have and we still manage to keep in contact with, not as much sometimes as we would like, but they're still very close uh, memories. Netherlands was a smaller city and it's a city, so it's never really city lifestyle but very green. And so we spent time cycling, as you do in the Netherlands, and you can do it quite mm-hmm. safely. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, going to the beach even when it's only 20 degrees when you wouldn't do that in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Australia. <laughs> Australia. <laughs> And, and not really you've got to experience a lot of Europe because Netherlands obviously is very close. So yeah. drive, I mean, the first drive across a, a border to another country was an experience. So we basically used a lot of time to um, see lots of, lots of Europe um, and we did a lot during the first, um, particularly the first sort of three, four years. But afterwards we recognised that actually it can get, not tiring, but it can get like you lose your your opportunity where you live if you're actually away every weekend. So we found we tried to balance it and try to spend more time in the Netherlands, spending time with friends in the Netherlands. And that was probably good for as well because he could actually spend time, you know, with friends and building those relationships. So so it's really about exploring, um, you know, exploring life in Netherlands, understanding, get, get to seeing parts of Europe, places that I've always dreamed to see, like always wanted to go to Florence, always wanted to go and see some of the Impressionist painting, French Impressionist painting, go to Sicily, which is where my parents both came from, but got to go to both of the cities that they, because they're from different parts of Sicily. So things like that, you know, wouldn't have done, go to the Champagne region, which, you know, I love Champagne, but actually go to the region. So all these lovely things and even smaller cities that I wouldn't have known before. Mm. And in Krakow, um, it was the same sort of thing. It was around trying to get, an, it was a new network, because we'd moved to a new country. And Krakow, there were much less expats compared to the Netherlands. The Netherlands, you had not, you had a lot of expats from show a lot of other organisations um, and a lot of government as well. But in Krakow, it was much smaller community, so much harder to build those networks. And for my son, he found that really hard because he, he was a bit older then. He, he knew what friendship was and he really missed his friends from uh, from the Netherlands. So a lot of the effort first going to Krakow was really trying to get him to be settled. And then that's like with my husband's studies, really thinking about what he's going to, what he's going to do to keep himself uh, motivated. So Poland, we actually didn't do as much travel apart from travelling within Poland itself and mm-hmm. and really just trying to make sure that had that sense of community and belonging. We, we start to realise how how more important it gets as children get a bit older. And that's when I kind of realised, oh, I missed the interaction he doesn't have regularly with his cousins or, you know, mm. grandparents that I was used to. So those kind of things started to, I became more mindful of that, I must say, as I was in Krakow. And and what were, I mean, you talk a little bit about, you know, sort of starting to realise the family aspect. Was that a key motivator for returning or was it time from a work perspective or a job perspective? Like how did that line up? 
probably everything altogether. Mm, yeah. <laughs> because actually from a timing point of view, normally assignments are around four years. So we knew that that time would come up. And and with every assignment, you've got to think, you, you know, leading up to it, you start thinking about what am I going to do next? And we really thought, well, actually, we don't want to have that anymore. We want to be, in terms of where we're going to live, I'm okay with what am I going to do as a job, having changed, that's fine. But I think as a family, we felt, we don't be thinking about where we're going to live. We want to actually just live in one place and not move again. So that was a big motivator. Right? We need to move back to where we don't need to move again. It's okay if we change jobs or whatever. And so based on that, okay, where do we want to move back to? Well, we have a house in Melbourne. We've got family there um, and, and, mm-hmm. and close friends. So we need to, that's where we're going to go. We don't want to like pick up, even though go back to Australia, pick up and move somewhere else because it'll be the same thing, adjusting to a new city, not being with family and friends. And, you know, it's like in, in, depending on where you go in Australia, it can be quite expensive for people to come to visit and it's not the same, you know, not being able to just see, you know, drive down to see someone in, in an evening. So based on mm, that, right, mm. we need to go back. And then with my son, he was getting close to getting to secondary school as well. And we wanted to get him back just before he started secondary school. So at least he could understand a bit more. So he actually came back in year six at the back end of year okay. six, but being ready to do yep. year seven. So it meant that he was a bit grounded. To, so when he, mm-hmm. he kind of actually knew what it was like to interact with, with Aussie kids, because he actually, like, hopefully, like, he even has an even has an accent to this day. Yeah, slightly American accent, yeah. and people ask him, "Where are you from?" And he actually he had to take like it took him a while to answer that question. And when he explained it to to people, they'd still ask him, "Like, like, can you explain that again?" So, are you Australian? He's like, "Yes, I'm Australian, but I actually have spent all my life." pretty much all my life out of Australia. <laughs> so yeah, I think that yeah. really hard. And so through that, that's that was important to get him grounded. I think I'm so glad we did because we heard it, you know, you hear that you hear about third culture kids, which is I think they have great a great concept, great view of the world. But at the same time I think some of the kids need to have that sense of where they belong. And I think really struggled with that a bit. Where do I belong? Where do I fit into Australian society? Because some of the things that the kids will talk about, you know, like you know, things like programs, television programs, even Australian music, he wouldn't actually know any of that. So it took him a while to get that. Aussie rules is another thing as well. Um, so all yeah. those things took a bit of time. So that's a thing that, you know, that's like living in one one country, one city, you can be grounded in all those things and that became really important. And for my husband, mm. it was really important for him to actually start to do something with those studies and he was. The fact that he could come here and do, you know, do a university, do it face-to-face rather than um, virtual and Very actually, much. you know, understand what prospects he would have himself so that he could actually mm. you know, do something with what he'd done overseas. Uh, so all those things really meant that we needed to go back, need to go back to Melbourne where my family was because my, my mum is still alive and I've got my siblings, et cetera, so, and I've got a lot of the close friends and so has my husband. So I thought we just need to get back. Um, and it's, Step and back really, into the community. Exactly. Mm. And that's been really good for mm. to have that a cousin network for him. So he's got that support. Because we knew that he, as he'd get older, there were things he wouldn't be able to talk to me about or, or my husband, but he's got his cousins, he's got that extra support outside of his friends as well. So all those things were, and I just think back to when I was a teenager, I loved the time with my with my cousins and, and things like that. So I wanted to yeah. enjoy that. Enjoy time. it. Exactly, yeah. So then, and then obviously the career was one of those two, what am I going to be doing? And that was, that was, that was important, but it, this is where you have those pivotal moments where, all those other things become just as important. And um, so and that's why even though um, the, you know, we didn't have a health in Melbourne, I still wanted to go to Melbourne because that's where 
I really wanted to do all those other things that were important for the family. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, we've talked about your husband and your son coming back, but you also, in coming back, stepped into a very, very different business to the one that you left. Um, the business had changed with the sale of um, sale of the downstream business. I think it was oh. 2014, um, and head office had relocated from Melbourne to Perth. And so... You know, can you talk us through, I mean, I guess how you navigated those transitions because you're not coming back to something that you know. You're coming back to something that is very different. And what did your role look like and what did the business look like for you? Yeah, so I suppose it was interesting. There were many, there were many faces that I didn't know, so I had to actually yeah. um, <laughs> try to work out. Um, some people that I did know, which is great, and a lot of people knew me from my time overseas as well, so that was also nice. So I had the so I had I had a small network but not as big. So I've really just really I've been doing what I did when I moved to Netherlands and when I moved to Krakow. You just do the same sort of things, build up the network, understand a bit more around um, the organisational how it works and, and what are the key parts of our business because that had changed um, before I'd left because um, we we had basically our floating uh, prelude operations had had just started up. So um, just being more you know understanding what's going on there. We also had an acquisition that had taken place, the BP group, so understanding more around that that new part of our organisation. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I was really lucky. The first project I got to do was actually really bring the experience I had in Krakow. I was managing our HR operations to um, understand what were some of the challenges we were having in our Australian HR team because we had so much change, because we had acquisition, new parts of the business come in, and we also were relying on HR operations as well in KL. And there were a few challenges in the quality of the work being delivered. So I actually got to use my experience to use a few tools to do some root cause analysis, but also to see actually what is really going on here. Because what I was really seeing back there was people always blame, I think, the the team that provides the service, but there's always some underlining issues that create those errors or problems. And and through that, I, I was able to highlight why these errors were occurring and how it was a collective um, contribution effectively. And there were probably mm-hmm. some systems and 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 other aspects. So some of them were, you know, human errors, no doubt about it. But there were also some other things that needed to be resolved in order to really bring up the quality. And so I think that was great because it also gave confidence to my Australian colleagues that actually you can work with a HR operations or a shared services environment um, and, and also made them understand this probably created some opportunities because their roles could become more interesting um, through those things. And and yeah. then basically after that, I just kept there kept being a lot of projects that I could do that I got involved in, and through through those projects, I've really been able to bring that experience in in Netherlands and in Krakow of understanding how various parts of the HR function work um, in in Shell, which is really really good, and um, mm-hmm. and th- and that's pro- helped me do a few of the roles. I did a learning and organisational development role for a short period of time, but more recently I've been involved in some acquisitions and basically doing the integration of those companies within 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 um, Shell. And that's where I brought the policy, the leadership, the change management, um, organisational design, all those things all together to get some really good outcomes. Um, and obviously the relationship is key as well because obviously you're building a relationship with a whole new company, new culture. So that's been that's been fantastic. And I've really been so appreciative of it actually. So and I wouldn't have known that coming back actually that these things would have come up. So I just I think it's just those just got to be open to whatever whatever comes and and just take yeah. opportunities and you always get something out of it is always my perspective. Yeah, beautiful and it's lovely to hear um, 
that you've had an opportunity to integrate and leverage your knowledge because sometimes that is a challenge for people who come back. I've been really fortunate. Yeah, yeah to, to see that actually in play is, is really encouraging. And I think, look, whilst returning uh, with a role or with a company on one level has huge advantages, there are still things that catch us by surprise or feel same, same, but different Mm -hmm. in both, I guess, the way we do business and and also the way we live life here. What were some of your first impressions of, you know, stepping back into Melbourne, getting off the plane, going into the office? You know, what were the things that that sort of struck you? Well, firstly, there actually wasn't an office to go into straight away. (laughs) Yeah. We had had like a small office that was being being redesigned. So I actually had no office to go into Um, initially. That was probably the first big change. I'd normally be a much bigger office um so it was probably just I had to work more virtual so and most of my most of the colleagues I was actually working with were not in Melbourne so that was big change whereas I mean actually many of the roles that I did in Netherlands and Krakow were virtual anyway as they were they had been in Australia but this time the majority of my interactions were virtual so it meant traveling or having to Mm -hmm. you know have the conversations uh, over the phone etc um and so that was probably the big big change from a from a personal coming back to Australia, living in Melbourne, I think it was actually the um, how big Melbourne had grown. We'd come back every year, but we're just going to see and how populated it had become. Like getting on getting on a train, I couldn't experience. I couldn't remember a train being so crowded oh, yeah. compared to what it was. <laughs> yeah. So that, those sort of things. Like, oh wow, that's really it's, there's so many more yeah. people. But I actually loved that. I, I loved that aspect of it. Um, uh, and and I. I think we, we actually had very um, rose-coloured glasses around our thought about everything in Australia. Like any time, when we work in another country, you get, you are frustrated about some things, but we recognise actually it's not all that perfect here as well. Maybe it's just the way it is everywhere across the world. A few things that, you know, around bureaucracy, actually we have it as well. We don't really talk about other countries. So, um, but I, I actually I think um, just I just go to appreciate, I mean, no, no country's perfect. I think that's what you realise when you work. And, and leave somewhere else. But I think you also grow to appreciate those differences mm. and appreciate the love of nature, I think, is something that we have in Australia. That That's I just incredible. Know. I think the working from home, things that you just get experienced in your own suburb, birds that you yeah. haven't seen before. Um, like I see ducks fly over my house every every evening. I wouldn't have noticed that. Yeah. So things like that are just such beautiful things around Australia. We've got so many beautiful gardens and parks in all, in all across our suburbs. So, yeah, so I think enjoying what, what we have, I think, as, as, as a country. And I think being part of that and being part of that, I think the fact getting back to your home country, you actually be part of that future. Community. Community, but also part of the future. So climate change issues are important for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you you mm-hmm. can actually be involved. When you're an expert, you can you not, you can be involved but not as involved. Like, you know, you, you I mean, you vote. Yes, you still vote. Um, you can still vote while you're in It's different when you're actually in um, your home country be able to influence how things go. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it is a it is an opportunity to influence in a different way. Exactly. So, what does life look like in Melbourne for you and your family today? So, we basically, um, I think we've moved three times because when we first came back, we had temporary accommodation, <laughs> and then we moved back to our old house. But it was probably too small for us, and um, and we also felt that it was probably too inner city for us. But actually, from our time in Krakow, we liked having a bit more green, so we moved to. Um, to Greensboro, so it's a bit more nice, a bit more greener, a bit more space. So yeah, so now we've, we're quite comfortable. We've got we've got a house with enough space. Uh, mm. We're all at home, of course. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, lockdown. <laughs> lockdown would, my son would be going to school. He ha- actually had yeah. quite settled now. And uh, my husband would be uh, continuing his studies, which he still is, but he'd be going to, do you need to do that? <laughs> yeah. I'm interested, like, how long do you feel that it took you between, um, you know, touching down in Australia and kind of feeling like you were back in the groove? Um, you know, there are different statistics that people throw around, but I'm interested to hear how long you felt it took as a family and I guess for you as well, individually in your career. So personally, I think it was pretty quick for me. I think probably about three months mm-hmm. and I was settled from a from a career and role point of view. But I think together as a family, I'd say probably 12 months. Mm-hmm. And there were times mm-hmm. during that 12 months where we we're like, oh yeah, this is, we've, we, we, we've got it, we're all back. Yep. And there were times I was like, oh God, this is really more difficult than what we thought and you know obviously having worked in mobility I knew that repatriation could be difficult yeah um but yeah it's just but you just have to know that that's there you know that it's coming and you just have to try to work through it and and you find, and also what I what I find when you come back in there are a lot of things you have to do that are different because you have to really inter- like even though you've got your friends you need to actually make an effort to connect with them because they sometimes forget mm-hmm. that you're there like oh yeah actually you're there mm-hmm. so calling you to to come along to something yeah reminder exactly. <laughs> and uh, uh yeah so so it does take about 12 months sometimes it could take like I, I say roughly 12 whether it was a bit more I don't know um and there was still there was, like it doesn't just stop and say right it's all it's all perfect you'll still find after that 12 month period you still have things that come up that still um not difficult but are different and you still have to try to adjust to them but that's yeah, so it's one of the realities of when you when you come back, and so I think having having a good network of friends, but also connecting to others in similar um, circumstances, is really helpful. So obviously, for your network, going to one of the one of the first few events was really, I think, comforting. Others and understand their same experiences, and I think everyone helps each other as well um, through those yeah. connections. So because that, that that work when you're an expat, so bringing some of that back. Um, and people doing that, I think that's my advice to everyone who comes back. You know, do do connect with other folk who've just come back from their overseas assignments. They're a great network and great advice on what to do, et cetera, to, to settle in. There's a lot of practical things you have to do, like as converting licenses, et cetera. So things like yeah. that really good advice as well as how to personally settled back in as well. Well, it can be a very isolating time for many. So I think having others who, you know, get it, so to speak, is really important and helpful. Mm -hmm. And as you say, just navigating some of those really fundamental logistics of of moving is it's nice to have people that go, oh, go and speak to these people or talk to these people. It's um it's great. Mm -hmm. You've been really generous with your time and I've loved your insights. So thank you. But what we like to do with all of our guests is finish with five rapid fire questions yeah living overseas taught me what about myself to appreciate life and opportunities great the number one skill I use from my life overseas today is relationships when I want to feel like I'm back in my adopted country or countries (laughs) um a dish I eat is there's two like for Poland it's pierogi which is the bed they're dumplings yeah and yeah, for, yeah. for the Netherlands, it's truffles, which we all love, which is basically these really rich waffles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> gorgeous. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you make them at home or? Uh, no, I haven't. Like, I know the truffles, you can't, I can't really make them at home. Actually, there's another thing too. No. Also, uh, Madeleine cakes is actually something I've made recently, which you have in the Netherlands, but they're obviously French. But we've got to, there's a lot of French culture being um, in the Netherlands. So I've made that recently, but everything else. 
his pictures. Yeah. <laughs> the best part about being home is? It's family, being connected with family, yeah. Yeah, good. And a word, song or quote that you think best describes your time overseas? I'd use the word embrace. Oh, lovely. Because embrace the opportunity, embrace the challenges and mm-hmm. it just, embrace, embrace, it just embrace everything. So I think that's how I'd probably use the word I picked, embrace. Lovely. Oh, look, Mandy, thanks again. You've been so open and I know that your insights will really resonate and land with many of the people in our community and for those that are listening um, to this podcast. For those of you who would like to know a little bit more about Mandy's international experience, you can connect with her on LinkedIn and we will leave the details in the show notes. And of course, jump over to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you'll find all of those details. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family, and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.